knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. guys welcome back to the show i appreciate everybody listening in you guys it's actually big surge in the listeners right now on the show i think it's just because the time of year it is all you waterfowl folks are kind of trickling back in to see what's going on what's new you've been gone maybe for a few months or it's just new listeners if you're a new listener to the mvm show we appreciate you guys listening in and um, really enjoy trying to put the content out there that you guys want Today, I have with me a guy I've been watching their videos for a while now, and um, I don't even know how to do this introduction right, because um, my thing is, is I love having guests on. It's like my favorite thing to do, but I have such a crazy schedule, and I have Connor with me today from Uneven Train Outdoors, and Connor, I think you could uh, attest to how... um, kind of random this was hey man can you do a podcast so there's a lot of people that I know I would like to have on that say hey they would come on but it's just it's such a random thing when I'm available with the way my job is and stuff it's just it's kind of last minute thing so Connor welcome to the show thanks for coming on man yeah thanks for having me Titus I really appreciate it um kind of met you through Instagram and mm-hmm. I think I followed uh Paulie and and, uh, you know, some of the other guys that you hunt with and kind of started following your content from there. Um, you started commenting on my posts and, you know, I reached out to you with a couple of our videos. I actually asked you to do a, um, a review on one of our videos when you were doing them, you know, a couple of years ago. And oh, you know, okay. I, I remember, th- I don't know who that, remember who that was, but now that you say that, I for- totally forgot about that. Yeah, no. And so that's kind of how this relationship started. Um, but then we started talking, you know, earlier this week about doing a podcast together and super happy to be joining you this afternoon. Yeah, well, tell everybody, because sometimes we wait till the end to do this and maybe not everybody's still listening. Tell everybody all your socials and your YouTube channel, all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. It's uneven underscore terrain underscore outdoors. Um, and YouTube's just uneven terrain outdoors. And uh, I do about probably 90% of our waterfowl content on the page. It's really just a group of guys that are, who are really good friends. And, um, 
you know, Zach Ackerson, he's the one who created the page, but, you know, we kind of just created the page just to have fun filming and posting content with, you know, a great group of people and, uh, you know, just with kind of the goal of getting people outside. And uh, it's kind of, you know, morphed into this as I've, um, you know, kind of got more passionate about waterfowling. And uh, now I would say, you know, it's, you know, a good, a good majority of our contents, you know, waterfowl content. And, uh, you know, that's really what I'm passionate about and what I'm here today to talk about. Amen to that. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I guys really need to check out their, their YouTube channel and their Instagram page. And I'm assuming you guys are on Facebook too, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a Facebook. Okay. I know it's not, no one's as really active as much on Facebook as they are, but uh, as far as anybody, right? Like a lot more is towards TikTok and Instagram. But, anyways, check them out. Really, they, the videos that they have on the waterfowl, if that's most of everybody that's listening to this, probably is more so into the waterfowl side. Really check them out. I, I really love your guys' videos and how you do things and how you work hard and, I don't think we mentioned this yet, but they're New Mexico boys. And if you don't know about New Mexico and Colorado, we're going to get into that in this episode. And I'm super stoked to listen to everything in your wisdom and your learning and your experience, Connor, and like how you guys do things. Some things probably the same, some things different, but um, check their videos out. Really, they've had some killer videos. I feel like you guys... You are you just are you filming with a camcorder, a GoPro, or like what are you doing when you're doing your waterfowl stuff, or yeah. a, a, an iPhone? Because to be honest with you, I've bounced with so many things. And sorry to ask you a question and cut you off, but I'm gonna say something here. I've struggled. I think it's like maybe the fifth year or so that I've been doing it, and it always it started with a GoPro and a cell phone, and that's all it really needs to be technically the way things are. I know my friends do the same thing and very successful. But there's different feels with each thing. There's a there's a GoPro. You get your feel for that. You can't really see the birds as good always, but depending on if you're by yourself, that's really all you got. Then I, me and Tom's have done just our phones because that's all we had. We've used a camcorder, and we've used fancy cameras. And to be honest with you, um, I liked phones really good too if you have someone there with you. But w- what are you guys doing and – are you just using whatever you got or do you kind of have a specific tactic? Yeah. You know, all of our YouTube videos, um, pretty much are filmed with the camcorder. Mm. Um, and you know, a lot of the content that I post on Instagram is all with my phone. Um, and Zach just bought a really nice camera. And so all the filming that he does now will be done on that camera. So, you know, we're hoping to have a lot better content in the future, but, um, you know, it's, it's hard because, uh, you know, being out waterfowling and, you know, having your phone being in the mud, you know, mm. hunting in the mud, it's, it's hard to get, you know, good quality content that you're willing to share and, you know, not give away spots and areas and different things too. So it's kind of finding that balance. I would say like a lot of our content, you know, we, we don't even post on the page. Um, so I'm, I'm sure you deal with that too, just right. like, you know, finding, finding a good balance between, you know, providing good content, not giving away spots and, and also, you know, um, just, yeah, giving good content to your audience. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's usually at that point, um, and I've sometimes regret this, but sometimes if it's a place like that, um, there's places I know a lot of people will recognize 
and but it's public refuges, so it really doesn't matter because people are hunting. If they recognize it, it's because they've hunted it, and it's just a public refuge. So you got to have a resi or something to get in there, anyways. But um, yeah, it's I. I just want video. If I feel that, if I feel like that, you know, I just won't even. We won't even take the cameras or something because we just want to like take a break and like enjoy it for ourselves. We definitely do that multiple times throughout a season. But anyway, sure. So everything on our everything on our YouTube is filmed with Zach Ackerson. He's the you know the guy that does all the filming. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. No, you guys do a great job. Yeah, he's the one that's filming it, and he really has, like, you know, that last video that we did on that spring, um, you know, it came out really good, and I'm, you know, we've, we've got some good content, but we also need to do a better job of posting more frequently and getting more waterfowl content out on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, that being said, going from a guy that's trying to do it consistently, sometimes it'll burn you out, you know, and I've got really, really burnt out, so, I mean, if you guys are happy how you're doing it, I was... I highly suggest staying with it, you know, just do it how you guys have been doing it. Unless it's something you're really trying to grow big, but which is always, you always want to be better and grow. Right. I mean, that's, that's kind of a, just a life goal in general with anything. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I've thought about that a lot and you know, what we want to do with the page, you know, more to me, it's about sticking with the original goal and just getting people outside. You know, if Mm -hmm. I can convince, one guy to fall in love with waterfowling the way that I have, you know, to me, that's all worth it. Um, and so, you know, if they like the content, great. And if they, you know, get passionate about the sport, that's even better. So exactly. So let's go back a little backwards a little bit and work our way into you getting into waterfowling and stuff. So where were you born and raised? And yeah, so I was born and raised in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, you know, lived there pretty much my whole life until this last year. We recently moved out to Tennessee after my wife and I got married. Um, she's a doctor. She's at Vanderbilt um, attending residency here. Uh, she's an internal medicine resident. And I work out of a company that's still in New Mexico, Sandia National Laboratory. It's a Department of Energy laboratory located in Albuquerque. And I love it. You know, we're going to return back there here you know, in a few years, uh, once she gets done and, uh, New Mexico's really home to us. And, uh, you know, it's definitely a great, great state to be in. If you're a, if you're a waterfowler. Now he, you saying that probably throws most people off. Like, wait a minute, New Mexico, great state to waterfowl in. Um, we talked before, you know, like talking about places that people don't expect. And it's like, well, that's a hidden gym. Do you, you know, you don't want to put it out in the public about the same time. People, they've got to make the efforts to go places anyways, and not everyone's going to do that. But, like, what is it about New Mexico waterfowling that you love? For sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, it's in the West. A lot of the Western states, you know, are really good waterfowling states. Mm-hmm. Uh, New Mexico's got the Rio Grande River, which is the fourth longest river in the country flows right through the middle you know directly south of saskatchewan south of colorado which surprisingly produces um a ton of birds and you know colorado is kind of not really known for its nesting efforts but some of the areas in colorado have been known to produce more birds per mile than anywhere in the united states um on the right year so i mean it's a, it's a great place to be 
Um, there's a really low number of hunters. There's refuges throughout the state. All those refuges pretty much are dedicated for waterfowl. And um, I think there's over 10 of them. Um, you've got like Bosque del Apache, Sevieta, Bernardo, Casa Colorado, Belen, Huey, Bitter Lake, um, Las Vegas, Maxwell, Rio Mora, Valle de Oro. All those refuges are dedicated to providing uh you know winter waterfowl food and uh, a bunch of them you can't even hunt on so mm. they're safe places for waterfowl to go end up at you know as they end their migration usually new mexico is typically right on the freeze line um and so yeah it can it can really hold a lot of wintering birds uh you've got you know a good season um typically in new mexico it opens you know mid-october goes through late january um and, you know, there's always somewhere to hunt around, you know, we start hunting in Colorado in October, October 1st. And then, you know, usually to end out the season, we do a lot of our hunting in New Mexico, but it's a, it's definitely a great place to be if you're passionate about waterfowl and, you know, you can spend some time scouting around here. Huh. What now, what kind of feed are the ducks? Cause I mean, I'm thinking New Mexico is a lot of sage, a lot of dry ground, <clears throat> But what kind of feed do you notice, like wild feed that the birds are using in New Mexico? Yeah, so literally every river system has a ton of agriculture around it. Mm. Um, Nappy, which is the Navajo reservation. If you just like search Navajo duck hunting on YouTube, you'll see just like an unbelievable amount of birds up there. Really? Got a ton of corn um, up there. Yeah, hmm. on the Navajo reservation. They have to provide that water to you know, produce that agriculture, um, because it's on the native American land up there. So they can kind of produce, you know, a ton of corn, they get it unlimited water up there. Um, it holds a bunch of birds, middle Rio Grande Valley holds a ton of birds. Bosque del Apache is one of the best places to see, uh, wintering waterfowl, um, in the winter. Then you've got Roswell, which produces a ton of corn too. Mm. Um, you know, that area is all, you know, really good waterfowl country down there. A lot of winter wheat down there. Um, a lot of the refuges do Milo and, you know, a bunch of other, you know, agriculture types. They really kind of space it out between um, moist soil and then agriculture. And then also people don't think about this too. We're really close to Amarillo. Like Amarillo has become, you know, a waterfowler's paradise over there. You know, Cadillac really? Creek outfitters uh -huh. operate out. Amarillo now huh. and uh, you know there's a ton of birds that end up over there you know and it's really easy for them to get you know blown over to our river systems over here the river that runs through Amarillo is the Canadian and that originates in New Mexico so a lot of those birds can you know come our way huh. but yeah it's got a ton of agriculture a ton of feed for wintering birds and it's a great place for them to end up for sure how are you guys doing with public land? I mean, what's the ratio there? Not, not that's kind of throwing you kind of a curveball. I, you don't have to be exact, but I mean, do you feel like there's a lot of public land to duck hunt? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would say we do probably, you know, 70, 80% of our duck hunting on public land. And it's a, you know, it's a good portion. Colorado, it's about 40, 60, you know, 40 public 60 private um you know we kind of mix it up out there 
Um, but in New Mexico, there's a ton of public land. You've just got to, you know, you've got to be willing to drive away from the cities, drive out in the middle of nowhere, you know, and find birds in different places. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great place to be a waterfowler and to hunt public land and have the opportunity to hunt those birds, you know, kind of all, all winter. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm actually going to look real quick cause you, you guys just posted something or probably you, like you said, you're doing all the waterfowl content, but you posted, I think it's on here or maybe that was just a story, but it was like you walking over a hill or like, something and just all these you can see just thousands of i think it was mallards but i'm not i don't know or maybe not thousands probably hundreds you know was that did you guys post that on something or was that a video i thought i seen that on your instagram yeah i did yeah that was a post and that's from uh you know a public refuge that place that those birds were you know it's a public <laughs> land spot to hunt um <laughs> and probably not a soul you. out there huh and no and you know it um that place you know they rotate days on it but mm. um you know there's just not there's not a lot of guys out here uh, i've seen some guys from arizona come out here and hunt and, you know be successful have a good time you know we've got some buddies from texas that like coming out here i mean guys that come over here from different states are pretty blown away but um you know it's also a, a tough spot to hunt too i would say you know, if, if you just come out here trying to kill ducks, mm -hmm. um, you're probably going to have a hard time unless you've got some local knowledge for sure. Mm, yeah. You know, it's, it's not just a state you drive into and just bang them up, you know, like, I don't know, like uh, Nebraska, Kansas. <laughs> yeah. You know, places no, like right. that. No, I, I hear you, man. I mean, um, that would be overwhelming to look at an onyx map. I mean, obviously, first thing I would do is look for water and look for food. But, I mean, that's what you do anywhere. But but seeing that video or clip, I don't know what where that was. I'm not really not seeing it right now. But I was like, man, that's so vast, and that could be so random. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to ask the details about that video. But, like, in my mind, I'm looking at thinking, dude, you might have hiked in for two miles before you found that little spot where there was some standing water. I mean – how glorious was that to find something like that? I mean, that's to me, that's like kind of like what every waterfowler dreams of is to find something where you had to put a lot of effort in to get away from everybody. And then you find something that like that and that don't happen all the time, but it's just, boy, when it happens, it sure is neat. Yeah. And you know, that, that video was taken, you know, right after a big cold front and, you know, a lot of birds had just pushed down here and, uh, you know, it, I really didn't hike in too far on that one, but, you know, the majority of the hunts we do, you know, are, you know, hiking hunts or, you know, getting away from someplace where a guy can get to mm -hmm. really easily with a boat, you know, et cetera. You know, we've kind of got a motto. If you can get there with a boat or, you know, pretty easily, you know, there's probably not going to be mallards there. And so, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, we try to, we try to on places that we can get away a little bit and, um, you know, hunt spots that are, that are a little bit quieter than others have less pressured birds. Exactly. Yeah. Now, is that your predominant bird in New Mexico? Is it mallards? I would say so. Definitely. Um, you know, early in the season, there's a ton of widgeon, there's a ton of teal here, ton of gadwalls. You know, we've, we've got a lot of like stock pond type lakes around New Mexico. And, you know, they seem to attract, you know, widgeon, teal, gadwall. There's a lot of those birds here. You know, a lot of our highland reservoirs have a lot of 
you know, teal widgeon gadwall or some pintails too. Um, you know, and the mallards pretty much stay close to the agriculture and, um, you know, that, that kind of country. So, yeah. Well, um, what, like what makes, and this is kind of some stuff we had talked about before the podcast, but like what makes hunting in your part of the country good? Like, I mean, what, what do you kind of feel defines you being New Mexico? Like, this is what's different. This is what I like, you know? Yeah. You know, it's big expanses, you know, it's just South of the Rocky mountains. So a lot of those birds, you know, if they fly over the Rockies, they fly over Colorado, they're going to have a hard time, you know, finding places to get down. They're probably going to end up down here. Um, you know, it's so cold up there through, you know, Wyoming and Colorado through a lot of the winter, you know, usually by December and January, all those birds are down here. Um, but you know, that freeze line can kind of vary depending on the year. Um, but really New Mexico sets up right on the freeze line. And if you live in a state that's pretty close to the freeze line, you're probably gonna, you know, be able to kill a lot of birds because it puts a lot of pressure on them. You know, they've got to get in there, got to get to that feed, uh, you know, that moist soil vegetation, you know, before um, the ice gets on it. So they've got just a, a shortened window, a closed window of them getting on, being able to get to it. So, you know, we typically have some really good afternoon hunts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're kind of, we always kind of talk about that, you know, scout in the morning, hunt them in the afternoon, you know, if we can kind of find a pattern where, you know, they're using something in the morning, usually if we can get there in the afternoon, you know, we're going to shoot them pretty good. Um, But yeah, you know, we like to kind of watch them in the morning, see, see what's going on and set up a plan for the afternoon, kind of understand the scout, you know, are they going um, from the roost to the feed? Are they going from a roost to the loaf and then to the feed and just kind of going from there setting up a a pattern that makes sense for that day yeah hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain your feet are carrying the load without the right boots you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge at midway usa we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier with just a few clicks of a mouse you can decide on what's important like waterproofing insulation size width and savings For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions 
that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Now, I mean, obviously different times of year with different weather is going to cause more or less feeding. What Before it gets too cold... Um, are you what? How much are you seeing? Are you basically seeing them where they're at, and then they go leave and come back once for the day, or is it? Does that depend on just obviously the weather? Like I'm sure they're feeding a couple times, so it's probably yeah. easier when it's like that to get a pattern because they're they're leaving a few times. For sure, and I'm sure you see this in California too. If you get a you know real long warm stretch, they're gonna feed all night. You know, it's gonna be hard to get on them during mm-hmm. the day. Um. And so, you know, if, if that happens, you know, hopefully, hopefully they're going to leave in the morning right away, go out and sit on a roost. If you can find that pattern, you know, you can still kill them in a warm weather situation because they're probably going to get back to that feed around four ish, you know, kind of close to dark and, you know, it sets up a pretty good evening hunt. Um, but you know, if you've got that, you know, that cold weather, the second that ice comes off, they know they're going to try to get in there, you know? So mm-hmm. it's kind of, you know, understanding what the weather's doing. Um, and, you know, kind of did these birds just come in here? Have they been around for a while? You know, are they, you know, kind of wise to what's going on? You know, all that stuff's going to kind of make a difference in, you know, what we do for the day. Mm. How long, how long, well, how old were you when you got into duck hunting? What, what sparked that interest? Yeah, so I was probably, you know, um, in high school at some point, my best friend Cody invited me to go with him on a duck hunt with his dad. And I was like, you know, sure, let's let's go do this. And uh, went down, shot a few birds, you know, had a, had a great time. And then I'd go down with Cody and his dad, um, you know, go hunting. And, you know, we'd, we'd have a great time. And, you know, I realized I was kind of passionate about this. And then Cody left to college, went to Oklahoma for school, and uh, his dad and I, you know, we, we became like hunting partners. I'd, I'd pretty much be gone like every weekend. My parents couldn't understand why, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden out of the blue, I was gone, you know, from November to January mm-hmm. duck hunting. But, um, you know, just fell in love with the sport like I'm sure you did and like I'm sure a lot of people did. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's just, you know, someone, you know, willing to – you know, take the time to take me out and, you know, teach me a few things. Mm-hmm. And, and they're, they're the ones that, that started that fire in you, huh? Just one day just invited you out and said, Hey, you want to go? Or did that's something you kind of had an interest in and had a good opportunity for someone to take you? For sure. And I mean, anyone going out, you know, for a first time, you know, I took my wife out a couple years ago for her first time and, you take anyone out for that first time and it's just kind of mind blowing. Like, you know, if you're in a good area, you know, see all these birds and, you know, you're trying to work these birds and, you know, get set up right. And, uh, you know, when everything, you know, comes together, right. You have an opportunity to shoot a few birds. It's just kind of a magical experience. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I fell in love with it. Like I'm sure, you know, a lot of people did, I don't think anyone just decided to, you know, I'm going to hike into that marsh today with a shotgun and see what I can do. You know, 
I think a lot of guys who got into duck hunting really were, you know, invited or learned something from someone, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so that's kind of how I got into it too. Yeah. I always talk about how Travis invited me and when I was 16, I went when I was nine with my dad and his friend, but you know, I was younger then it wasn't shooting at the moment. And I was probably, I think remember being pretty miserable cause I didn't really, my dad didn't really put me in the right gear, but, um, <clears throat> No sick him back then. I always joke I was wearing a purple puffy jacket. And don't ask me why he had me wear that out there. But Travis, uh, one of my best friends, he invited me when I was 16. And I said, yeah, let's do it. And he's like, I'll be at your house at 2. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, 2 in the morning. And he ended up bringing me a bunch of greasy jack-in-the-box tacos because it's like the only thing available. I always bring that story up. And I guess that was that was it from then on. Yeah. So that's been 22 years ago now. So. It is, it, you're right, though. It, a lot of it does have to do with an invite or someone telling you how fun it is. You got to try it out sometime. And sometimes I don't even, I haven't even hunted with the, I've told people about it for years, but they didn't even go with me on their first hunt. They end up going with someone else. And it's just, they're as hardcore as anybody, you know, the next guy. So, no, for sure. I mean, it's, it takes somebody, I think, in a lot of situations. And, you know, Brian taking me out and then introducing me to Mark. Um, who's another guy that I hunt with and he kind of brought up Brian and I's game to a different level, but Mark was an outfitter for a little bit and, uh, Brian and Mark met through a guided fishing trip in the Gunnison Gorge, a couple day trip. And, you know, they were talking about duck hunting and Brian invited Mark to, you know, come down to New Mexico and hunt with him, um, for an entire December and January. And he did that for a bunch of years in a row. So I started hunting with Brian and Mark. And then uh, Mark being from Colorado, had a bunch of great places to hunt up there. So I pretty much spend all my October, November in Colorado, you know, really until those birds leave Colorado up there and then, you know, hunt down in New Mexico, probably a lot of December and January to kind of finish out the season. But Mark's the one who really brought Brian and I's game up to a different level. Um, Hmm. You know, he's... He's a really, really special guy, you know, hunted all of his life and and has hunted in some of the best duck country, I would say, you know, anywhere in the U.S. Um, I mean, it's like unbelievable some of the places that he hunts up there. I, I'm lucky to hunt in New Mexico, which I thought, you know, is great. But, you know, going to hunt up with Mark in Colorado, it's like, man, this this is like a, you know, total, totally different level of hunting. Yeah. I, so you said Brian is Brian the dad of your friend? Yeah, he's my best friend's dad. Okay, um, one of my good friends. He was in my wedding too. Wow, that's really cool. So, so how much? Yeah. So how old are you, Connor? I am uh, twenty six. I turned twenty seven in January. And how old was Brian? Or is Brian? I mean, how much older is he than you? Uh, he's he just turned fifty last year. I think he's fifty one, mm. but he's. You know, he's like he's like a twenty-two-year-old. <laughs> well, he's got such a young guy's energy. Yeah, and, uh, you know, he's a blast to be around. And you know, I'm I'm sure you know it's you know it's about the guys that you have around oh, you. You know that that kind of makes it. And Brian's, you know, what what made it for me. Yeah. No, I oh man, I hear you. You know, like. Travis is crazy. I say it all the time. <laughs> he's absolutely nuts. And I'll say that if he was sitting right here. He's 
I think he is 50. He's either 49 or about 50. I don't want to say 15. He's not because he'll kill me. But anyways, yeah, I mean, there's some things he's not all wound up about. But I will tell you, waterfowl, it brings out a whole nother beast for sure. And so, (laughs) (laughs) and and Thomas is 29. So, I mean, there's a big gap between Thomas and Travis too. But, I mean, like you said, I mean, it doesn't matter to me if they're 70 years old. I mean, to have someone that that has – went through the hunts and been through the good and the bad hunts and it's taught you. And then I feel like I have continued to grow and everything he's taught me, I've, I've put it to work and learned on top of that. So, I mean, having a mentor is, is not necessary because I know a lot of people listen to this. They don't have that. So I don't want to say like, that's the only way, but boy, you got to count your blessings when you do have them because, because that for sure helps you a lot, you know? You're blessed, for sure. blessed to have that. Duck hunting is definitely something. I mean, you can get a lot, a lot better really quick. The learning curve is really quick when you've got yeah. a guy that knows what he's doing, you know, is taking you to places that, you know, consistently produce. And mm-hmm. you're cut, you, you, you cut the time in half or more by having a mentor. Oh, for sure. The learning I mean, process. I mean, it, I mean, it can be instantaneous, right? If you know what you're mm-hmm. doing and all it takes is, you know, guy showing you a couple places i mean that's the learning curve right there it really yeah. is <clears throat> it's so fun doing that too because i've with some of the young guys i hunt with my friends kids and they go out with me and their dad's at work it's like i'll be talking saying something about calling or don't call so much and like watch the birds reactions and this and that you know i'm telling them and, and they're looking at you and they're listening and intently but I, what I love the most is after you've been saying something over and over and then it happens out in the marsh or out in the pond, wherever you're at, it they look at you with that look like, I get it now. You know, like yeah. this makes complete sense. Now you, all that stuff you were telling me, you know, it's that is such a rewarding feeling to see their eyes light up like that, you know. Definitely. I mean, you know, duck hunting is a lot of little things. You know, if you can learn all those little things and someone can show you those right off the bat, you started getting a lot of things right and you know all of a sudden it just starts happening for you mm-hmm. um but yeah it's just it is i mean this you know the second you see you know it happened one time right after someone told you you know this is what it's gonna happen it's like you know a mental click mm-hmm. you know so <clears throat> what this might be kind of throwing it to you too quick there where you might want to think about it but what do you think the one of the a few good or one of some of the best things that your uh, Brian or your mentor taught you that has really meant a lot to you and it's just helped you so much in your waterfowling experience. Yeah, I would, I would say, you know, the first thing that I learned with Mark was, you know, to have a passion for the birds in the sport and not be worried about killing ducks. You know, the, the first bunch of times I went out, you know, it was kind of all about killing ducks and, you know, shooting the limit. Mm -hmm. And I think the second I learned that it's, you know, it's about the experience. It's about the birds. It's about the sport. And it's not about, you know, killing ducks. That's, you know, when my game really elevated and, you know, you're, you're willing to spend more time scouting, you know, you find just as much pleasure in finding a bunch of birds as you do shooting five Mm -hmm. mallards. You know what I mean? 
that that was probably the big the big change because you know you see a lot of guys go to the same spot in the refuge over and over year after year you know and yep. they're just they're just to kill ducks you know they they know they can go there and kill ducks mm-hmm. and it's not really about you know having a passion for for the birds and the sport and and you know finding ducks and and kind of understanding what they're doing, why they're doing it, you know, understanding the why and having a passion for the sport is, you know, where I, you know, really started getting good at, you know, duck hunting for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that was the first thing I learned from Mark. I'm trying to think about what I learned from Brian off the bat. Um, I, I know like I, I hunted with, you know, some different guys this year and, you know, I, I know from hunting with Brian, like that's, you know, that's a guy I always want to hunt with. Like, mm-hmm. he, you know, I'm sure you have those guys yeah. too. You hunted with a bunch of different guys. You've got a group of guys that, you know, you just enjoy hunting with and are, you know, have a great time hunting with. And that's what the sport is all about. Right. Just going out and having a good time with some guys you really love to be around and, uh, definitely learn that from Brian. Um, I learned too, right off the bat, you know, just working harder than everyone else. Like just, mm-hmm. you know, being willing to, you know, go the extra mile to go somewhere else, you know, hike in somewhere else, what, whatever it is, you know, I learned, I learned that all from Brian and, you know, just, just the work ethic that it takes to, to get it done. Yeah. That's huge. And, and like you said, going back to the, the, who you're hunting with and stuff, I mean, like you said, I've hunted with a lot of different people and I've had fun, but there's just those people that it's just not the same unless you're with them. And it, you know, and everyone has their own quirks and weird things. And we gave each other like, Oh, he's always got to mess with the decoys or he's this or that. But you would still go back a thousand times over to hunt with that person and build that memory with that, that individual. So. For sure. And like guys that I, you know, kind of, don't really spend a lot of time hunting with they don't really understand like you know why aren't you inviting me every time you go yes duck hunt? yes uh-huh. you know why aren't you you know taking me with you well first of all you know it takes a lot of gear and whatnot to do but second of all you know i i've just you know found a love with being with the guys i you know enjoy hunting with i know you know what they bring to the table mm-hmm. every day and we're gonna have a good time when we go out and that's, you know, all that matters to me. So, you know, most of the time I'm hunting, you know, solo with Brian or with Mark, you know, with Cody. Cody just moved back to Albuquerque, you know, so I love hunting with him. It's my best friend. And, uh, you know, just hunting with the guys who you really enjoy being around is, you know, is the is just so important to me. Like, that's, you know, what makes it fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's change gears a little bit, and no pun intended, but let's talk about some gear. What's, um, just out of curiosity, like anything, it could be whatever, but like what kind of gear do you like as far as uh, decoys and uh, just every little thing? I'm just out of curiosity, what, like calls, whatever. Let's just talk about gear for a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, So I made a really good relationship with a guy in Albuquerque who, um, you know, I really love, he came to my wedding. His name's Brad Parks. He owns Park and Calls. He's from Jonesboro, Arkansas. And man, the guy makes an unbelievable call and he's just such a good guy to be around. 
you know, kind of same thing. You, you find what you like, you know, you, mm -hmm. you, uh, find a brand that, you know, you want to stand behind and kind of stick with it. Brad's that guy for my calls. Um, Slayer sent us a bunch of calls this year, man, those calls are really good. Um, they're making elk calls now too. Those elk calls mm -hmm. are unbelievable. Um, I saw, you know, they just, they either won the elk calling competition or, they came in second place and man, they, those guys are just doing a great job making calls and they're great people up there. So really like them too. Um, when it comes to decoys, the AVNX flocked full bodies are, you know, unbelievable. Mm -hmm. They fit into a sled really well. Um, like, you know, just that full setups, uh, we can fit two dozen decoys in a sled and man, it's, you know, those are, those are great decoys. We love, we like those. Um, comes to floaters. I like the Dakota, um, inflatable, mm -hmm. the packable. Ones. Yeah. The packable. Yeah, the, the packables. They're mm -hmm. so light. Um, you know, I can run a really light weight on them and, you know, they don't take up a lot of space. You can double stack them in a, uh, in, in a bag mm -hmm. and man, they're, they're great decoys. Yeah. I like them. The one thing I've seen with Dakotas is, you know, the flocking can kind of come off mm -hmm. Um, you know, a lot quicker than the ABNXs. Um, but yeah, I'd say that for decoys. Um, I shoot a Beretta. I really like Berettas. You know, Brian used to have a Benelli and it was okay. Kind of liked it. But, uh, you know, he started shooting a Beretta too. He likes it he, and he loves that gun. Um, seems like that gun shoots really well, especially if you're in in mud you know you have a dirty gun all the time it's really easy to clean um and it's really reliable uh shoot a pattern master choke do you shoot, shoot the code black duck i do you do yeah, okay. that's what I do. How, yeah. what's your thoughts on that thing real quick i i really like it you know that's what i put on my 12 gauge and mm. you know it's it's great um uh i also when i go to colorado i shoot a shoot a um an ic and, uh, you know, it's not a code black, but you know, that's a great choke for shooting birds in fields. Mm. Um, and then, you know, on my 28 gauge, I shoot, uh, the IC, um, as well from pattern master. They make, they make a great choke tube and shoot can't threes out of the 12 gauge. I shoot the boss fives out of the 28 gauge. And Oh, that was a you are a fellow 28 gauger, huh? Yeah. I, I did not know that. Yeah, I shot it about half the time last year, and it's a really fun little gun. If you've got the right hunt, man, yep. it's unbelievable. But if you know, if you've got a tough hunt, it's it's not the gun for that. You well, know, I like I like how you said that it, though. I like how you yeah. said for the right hunt. For the right hunt, exactly. For sure. mm -hmm. If you can get them tight, twenty-eight gauge would kill them just as dead as a twelve, but. Man, if you've got a tough day, no wind, you know, and yeah, and, uh, you know, it's hard to get those birds in tight. You really need to take out the twelve gauge, but it, and it's also, you know, it was a learning curve this year. You know, you lose that two hundred feet per second. It's a yeah, it makes a difference. Yeah, and a much smaller shot pattern. It's it's tough, um, but you know, for the for the right day, it's a it's an unbelievable gun. It really what? is. Um, what, what, uh, 20 gauge do you have? It's a 28 gauge. It's the, uh, Beretta, uh, a 300. I did not know they made a 28 gauge. Yeah. 
yeah, it's an awesome gun. Huh. I might have been better off going that route. I, I, um, I'm a big Browning fan. Uh, I love my Browning A5, and I'm just going nuts, and I'm getting tired of waiting on Browning to come out with a 20 and a 28 gauge for hunting. You know. But uh, did I? Oh, did I lose you? No, no, I'm oh, there. Sorry. <clears throat> but I was like, man, I can't wait any longer. So I bought the um, the uh, my, my mind's gonna go blank. The Benelli, not the the um, not the one that just came out this year. Why is my mind going? The Cordoba, Ethos Cordoba, just the black one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that, that was, a, was that was a lot of money though. But I I people think I'm crazy, but like as soon as Brown, if Brownie ever actually comes out with one, which I hope they do. I I would actually sell that. Now I'm not a guy that sells guns, but like I don't have nothing against Brown, Benelli at all. I mean, because I got a Franke too, and Benelli makes them. But I would just prefer Browning if I could. But uh, like I said, I don't. Um, I I've always razzed Travis because that's what he shoots. He shoots the um, uh, oh, what is that Benelli? They don't even make them anymore. I can't even think of it right now off the top of my head, but. Anyways, I I I think I do remember seeing something about the A three hundred. I bet you that's it's a lot a more affordable. It's the four hundred. Oh, it's A four hundred. Yeah. Okay, I guarantee you that's a lot more affordable than the Benelli is. It is. I got it. You know, it's it was brand new, and I got it from Gun Broker. I got a pretty decent deal on it at the time. I mean, it was it's hard to find those twenty eight gauges mm-hmm. now that the gun clubs are using them but i got a pretty good deal on it and uh you know it's it's a fun gun i mean if you dove hunt too um you know it's just it's a great great gun to have and super fun to shoot if you get the right duck hunt it's a great gun to have for that i just shot i just shot it on a pigeon hunt just to get some time behind it and see you know and i was like man this is a blast this is like i shot a ton and i didn't feel one thing you know like you know, when you haven't shot a 12 gauge for several months in the off season, you go in and shoot, you know, 50 round, you know, 50 shells or 75 shells, three boxes. You're like, Ooh, you know, you could kind of feel that a little bit, but man, you know, I didn't feel, I didn't feel nothing on that 28 gauge. So like I said, like you said, only specific situations, am I going to use that 28 in? It's not going to be, you know, with me every time, but I definitely have some things in mind when I know I want to use it. So for sure. Yeah. And those, those boss, um, fives are just, are great. I shot geese with them real tight. I shot ducks with them real tight. I mean, it's, that's, that's a killer load, but yeah, you, you've really got to get those birds close. If you get them at a distance, you're going to have a hard time, you know, not winding birds. Mm-hmm. Do you just use the factory choke in your 28? No, I, I I'm sorry. I shoot at kicks. I believe it's a kicks. They make a uh, they make a steel choke and extend it, and it's the only one I could find. Hmm. Um, I actually called Pattermaster and I go, "Do you guys have any plans on making a twenty eight gauge choke?" You know, uh, not right now. But if we hear enough about it, we might make one. I'm like, "Oh, please make a coat black, please." <laughs> I actually yeah. told him that. I go, dude, I will pay three times the money. And, he just kind of laughed. He's like, ah, not yet. And I'm like, I wonder how hard that would be for them to just decide to do that, you know? No, seriously. I mean, I looked everywhere. I couldn't find one. Finally found the kicks. It's a kick smoke. 
and man, it's it's a really good choke too. I was patterning pretty good out of that gun. Does it really? Yeah, you just don't have as many pellets. When you shoot boss, you get more. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you just don't have the feet per second on the 28 gauge. You really got to get birds tied to kill them. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, let's see here. Let's go back to some more uh, questions here. Um, let's talk about scouting for a little bit. Um, what are, what are your kind of tactics, methods? I mean, just is it a lot of windshield time? Is it a lot of binocular time, spotting scope? Is it a lot of hiking? Like, what's how's it look for you? Yeah, and it's different on different areas. New Mexico is kind of cool because you know, on a lot of our areas, we can get up on little plateaus and different things, and we, you know, kind of scout just like we do for mule deer or elk get up with a tripod and binoculars and just watch birds, uh, see where they go. Um, but, you know, also some areas we don't really have those, you know, little hills, mountains, plateaus or whatever. And, you know, we'll get in the truck and follow them from the roost to the feed or whatever and, you know, kind of see where they're going. Um, and then in Colorado, we do that too. It's a lot of truck time for sure. But uh, yeah, just, um you know, getting up on, on high areas and using high powered binoculars has really been, you know, a key for us for sure. Mm-hmm. Now the kind of switching gears again, a little bit back to gear. Um, let's talk about like setting up, setting up with the wind, the decoys, et cetera, all that. Like how, what do you guys like to do? Do you like running big spreads, small spreads? Are you matching what I say? I know it's a fishing term, but matching the hatch. Like you kind of setting up how you see the birds. You've been looking at them. Now they moved out to go feed or get some water. Do you set up, try try to set up as close to what they look like? Or do you have kind of a certain method? Yeah, I mean, you know, you can try to match the hatch. But, you know, if you've got, you know, a thousand birds, two thousand yeah. birds, you, you can't match that. Mm. Um, and, you know, to to try is, is you know, re- going to be really tough. But you know, usually if we've got an area with a, you know, a thousand or two, we'll try to find a spot where we see a lot of birds going into, not really the X, but kind of off it. And, you know, if I've got a guy or two, you know, that's plenty enough birds to shoot a two man limit or whatever, and not really disturb them too much right on the spot they want to get to. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll go in there if they're, you know, migrating birds, typically we'll throw as big as we can get because that's what they want to see, you know, those migrating birds, especially if they're coming from somewhere where they've been shot at a lot. Um, you know, they want to see a big, big wad of ducks um, before they're going to get down. And then, you know, if these birds have been pressured a lot, a lot of times we can size down a little bit. Like I posted about today, you know, two dozen, just kind of pot it up. You know, you watch them for a little bit, see kind of what they look like. Mm-hmm. Their pods on there, you're going to hunt and then kind of set up just like they look and, you know, usually we can size down and do really well without a mojo if the birds are stale and, you know, it's been warm um, and, and kill a lot of birds. So, mm-hmm. you know, it just it just kind of depends on the situation um, when it comes to setting up. You know, we hunt out of layout blinds pretty much exclusively. I don't really hunt out of A-frames or anything like that. But, you know, setting up, I'm a right-handed shooter you know, decoys to my left-handed side, you know, I want to shoot them on that left-handed side. I, you know, it's hard for a righty to shoot laying out to his right. right. So you want to make sure you get that blind position, right. You know, your layout. 
and then you know have those decoys kind of to your right birds working in um you know to that right side and right into your your shooting swing um and you know brush up as good as you can and and uh you know kind of if you can kind of match the hatch and you know bring in enough decoys you're probably gonna shoot them pretty good Hmm. so you probably do you think do you have more full bodies stand-up decoys than you do like floaters i do you do yeah because yeah, of the situation of the environment yeah, hunting. for sure yeah you know hunting them on refuges a lot of moist soil you know you get a lot of, of mud areas and um you know setting them up on the mud you know if you watch the birds like that they just stand there kind of sit on the sides um you know sometimes they'll run a f- few floaters but you know floaters are heavy you know, if you're, you know, packing in or, you know, driving mm-hmm. a boat and having to walk in a little bit, you know, it's, you know, they're, they're heavy to take in. So we like to take a lot of, a lot of full bodies and, you know, we use the dive bombs a lot this year. The dive bombs are really good earlier in the season. Whenever we had a cold front, man, to make a, you know, big spread, um, show those migrating birds, you know, a, a big pile of ducks, um, you know, it, they really worked well. Those dive bomb geese, I don't care if it's late season, early season. I think the geese are unbelievable. Um, you know, mallards are smart. You know, if they circle around, don't really see that profile, you know, get a good, mm-hmm. have a lot of time to look, you know, you don't have a windy day or whatever. They get a lot of time to look down and they're not seeing that duck profile. You know, they're probably going to flare on those dive bombs. But those dive bombs at the right time this year were, you know, kind of a game changer. Mm-hmm. Um take in a lot, you know, a lot of decoys pretty lightly. And, uh, you know, there, there were times when they worked really well. Hmm. Oh man, I had another question for you. I just, Oh, I know what I wanted to ask on, on, uh, the hunt. I can't name the hunt. I could pull up, but I'm, I won't take the time to do it. But you guys were, I think you were in those sleds laying down and you were in these, like, I, I don't know if, I'm going to sound stupid when I say this, but like, I don't know if they were like cypress trees or what kind of trees they were. They were the shorter, stubbier trees. You guys were shooting them in pretty tight in there with a little bit of standing water. Do you know what kind of trees are those? Yeah, um, I'm thinking they're probably I know Russian olive. Oh, Russian olive, maybe, huh? Yeah, okay. and the wood ducks really, you know, they really like that Russian olive. Um, some ducks do too, but. Pretty sure they're Russian olives. If that you're talking the, about the video, I think you're talking about. That was the cool. Oh, I think you were killing mallards, but man, it was the coolest. It was just kind of cool to me. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because it's different. Because it was just like sagey, but then there was a little little bit of water, and they were just coming in tight. I don't know. It was like, man, that looks like such a fun little spot to hunt. Just that yeah. environment, just the setting. You know what I mean? I I know what video you're talking about, and we had had a really big cold front, and. uh we, you know, we did, we did really well that, that day, but yeah, you know, it, some, some areas in New Mexico, real open, some areas in New Mexico, you've got timber, some areas in New Mexico, you've kind of got that Russian olives kind of sparse, you know, it really just depends on, on the area, what part of New Mexico you're hunting, really. I mean, they can just be anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, kind of like Delta, Colorado holds a lot of birds that go to Nappy, you know, uh, North Park, Central Park, South Park, all those birds end up going down the middle Rio Grande Valley. 
then you got the South Platte birds, the Arkansas birds in Colorado. Those birds all end up on the, you know, Roswell side. There's birds on every side of New Mexico. It's just, you know, you know, spending the time out there to go get after them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, man, uh, we're getting close to an hour. I really appreciate you coming on here, Connor, and sharing your experiences and your wisdom and like stuff you've seen and just your whole setting in, in the New Mexico and Colorado area. I know you're in Tennessee now, but saying you're ready in about three years to get back home. And so, guys, go check them out, Uneven Terrain Outdoors, uh, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. And any, I'm sure, are you guys on any other social platforms or is that pretty much something? No, that? I think that's, that's it. I mean, for me, it's most – you probably mostly see me on instagram you know yeah. most of those instagram posts go to facebook um you know if we if we film something with zach you know it's, it'll go to our youtube but um yeah i'm in tennessee now i i plan on coming back you know to mexico and colorado for three different weeks um you know during duck season i'll be hunting out here too so i'm excited to uh let elliot know you know how tennessee duck hunting is and how the south is because i hear it's not very good <laughs> the guys on his podcast so. oh yeah very is stirring the hornet's nest right there man oh yeah i, I oh, need yeah. to i need to have him come on here and just do that for a straight hour and just talk about the you know southern <laughs> boys <laughs> you know what? actually there's a guy i don't know if he'll listen to this one but there is a guy from georgia and I, just some random guy that messaged me and I was like, you know, I, I want to have him on just because the fact that he's in a place where you really don't hear much about duck hunting from. And I hear it's pretty tough out there. But anyways, it's just nice seeing different varieties. But yeah, we got to got to give the Southern boys that he I don't know. He's funny because he's really serious. You know, like Elliot, he gets all kind of worked up. It just it's funny to me. But Elliot's a great guy. And I know I don't think most people take that too serious, but. Well, man, thanks for coming on. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you, Titus. I really appreciate it. Definitely have to come on again. All right, everybody, thank you for listening, and we'll see you guys on the next one. <laughs>